0: Our scripture passage this evening is Romans 3, verses 21 through 31. Romans 3, 21 to 31. That can be found on page 1197 of your pew Bibles. We will also be reading a summary of what God's Word teaches in Lord's Day 23. This can be found in your Forums and Prayers book on page 224. Before we read God's word, let's ask for his blessing. Father in heaven, we say to you, we request before your holy throne that you would speak to us here now and that we would understand a fundamental doctrine, a fundamental belief to the gospel itself, that we are right before you only in Jesus Christ. We are justified, we are rendered as just before you in his blood and his alone. May we clearly see that in your word and may it change our lives. And for the, the faithful who profess this faith in you, we ask that it would strike us anew the glory with which you have endowed the gospel and what we have been given. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 3, beginning in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now we turn our attention to Lord's Day 23 as we discuss this fundamental doctrine. But how does it help you now that you believe all this? That I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, And as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith. For only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God, and I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith. Alone. The reading of the Catechism, and may we be blessed by this doctrine, even this question. What is this question that we look at this evening? Well, really, it's how does believing help you? How does believing the gospel help you? How does it matter? It's really what the catechism is asking. We've gone through the Apostles' Creed in the catechism. We've seen the explanation for each of the phrases and words that we profess, and now it asks that summarizing question, so what? So what does it matter? And the answer to this is on one level incredibly simple, and that's what the catechism gives in the first question and answer of this Lord's Day. Why does it matter? What does believing these things do for you? And it says that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. It's beautiful in its simplicity, and yet the simplicity of that answer doesn't undermine the complex work that took place to achieve that simplicity. To come to such an answer, to come to that understanding, was a magnificent work of the Lord throughout all of Scripture. It catalogs, it puts in place what God had done to bring us to this point where we could answer these basic questions. I can't even express how important this question is and the accompanying doctrine is to our faith and to what we believe. It stands at the center of it, and were we to err here, were we not to believe correctly here, our faith veers off the track and we lose it. We lose the right understanding of the gospel if we don't understand how we are truly right before God. We don't understand God's word. We don't understand the gospel. It's these questions that we better be able to answer. As Christians, we better be able to understand and know what difference it makes to believe this and how we are right with God. How are we right with Him? Would some give the answer, well, you're right with God by obeying Him, by keeping His law. Is this how you're right with God? Wrong. That's not how we can be right with God. Are you right with God if you cooperate with His grace but still need to do a little bit of the work by yourself? Wrong. We can't cooperate with His grace. We can't achieve for us even just a sliver of our salvation. So how can we be right with him. In catechism class, when we go through profession of faith, we hit this doctrine as one of, if not the most important. And we say that because it is that hinge upon which religion turns. It's that hinge upon which Christianity turns, because it's coming to the center. How are we right with God? And it is Christ alone. And we explain what that means. We understand that we bring nothing to the table. We have nothing to offer God to to pay for our rightness before him, for our justification before him. That's why we have these sermons. It's why we understand doctrine. It's important that we understand doctrine. Every decision you make, In your life, any issue or trial you go through and how you respond to that will in some way be tied to a doctrine as its foundation. There will be, there needs to be a bedrock from which you can respond, from which you can live. And if we don't have that bedrock in place, we will have a weak faith at best. We will have no faith at worst. Doctrine is very practical to our life. Without it, we wouldn't know what God's Word says, we wouldn't know how to respond, and we would gain no comfort from it. We would have, to borrow the language of the catechism, no benefit from it if it wasn't for the, the practicality of this and of, of understanding what God's Word says. We can illustrate the, the, how practical this question is. How are we right with God by looking at history? What we believe in the clarity of our confessions comes from a very practical history of those when they had an incorrect theology, an incorrect doctrine, had no comfort, were in a life of of extreme terror and fear. The world before the Reformation was a world that was held in the grip of a consumer exchange theology, Faith had been monetized, not so much that it was just all money that was involved. It had become a ledger. It had become what you could do to remain on the ladder up to heaven. That was even a way that it was described. There's pictures of this ladder that's heading up to heaven and saints are falling off it and devils are are crawling underneath it trying to pull the saints down. And the only way to stay on that ladder was to, to have mass and the sacraments, was to do good works, was to do penance. It was do, do, do. And you better have your ledger in place. That's how, it became, that has, that's how it was understood, and it became the, the practice of the day. What a scary way to live. Luther wasn't alone when he was beset with depression and anxiety and fear due to the question, how am I right with God? And if the answer is what you do, we are to be pitied, and we should just give up. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor if that's how we are right with God. And so you see that 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 spells the death of an assurance of your faith. It spells the death of an eternal standing. Answering the question how you are righteous before God is the granddad of all practical, meaningful, life-changing questions. It is the most fundamental question. And it will produce assurance, it will produce faith and love within you, and it will give to you a proper understanding of God. What do I mean by that? When we start to tamper with this doctrine, we would end up with a God who is less than who he is. We end up with a God who's not as just as he truly is. We end up with a God who is merely just sort of propping us up, merely extending a hand of help, and not a God who radically pursues his people who fully, wholly uplifts them, whose grace is not limited by how much we can contribute or how much we can cling to it. You see, properly understanding justification, how we're right with God, gives us a mighty view of God himself. It gives us a proper view of man to understand that there isn't something we can do. It humbles us. It puts us in the proper place. And many don't believe this. Many struggle with this fundamental doctrine. Ligonier Ministries does their survey. I think it's an annual survey where they ask adults questions of the faith and see their response. 2022 survey of 3,011 U.S. adults asked this question, whether you agree or disagree with the following statement. God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. Read that question again. This is what they were asking. Do you agree or disagree with this? God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but only because of one's faith in Jesus Christ. 23% somewhat agreed with it. 34% strongly agreed with it. 10% were not sure. 13% somewhat disagreed with it. 20% strongly disagreed with it. So, to the basic statement of faith, to an audience that likely would be those who would have more knowledge than you're just, if we were to poll all of the United States, say, only 34% strongly agreed with the statement of the gospel itself, that you are righteous in Christ alone. You are considered righteous by God in Christ alone. Alone, Of course, everyone should strongly agree with it. If you don't, you don't understand your own sin. You don't understand your Savior. It demeans what Jesus has done. He, again, is simply that helping hand. He truly achieved nothing for sure. It took us to respond to it. We can't assume that we all understand this and that our kids know this. This is why we have to teach it. We have to review it. We have to always put this before us that we would ever be feasting on the truth of the gospel and, indeed, how radical the gospel is. We fling these statements around because we are used to them, but they are amazing, life-changing, world-transforming beliefs to come to that conclusion that you are not right with God by anything you do, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That is not a human invention. That's not something man would ever come up with by himself. It has to be revealed by God. And it is. And that's why the true church responds to it and believes it in this way. Romans 3.27 raises that issue. What becomes of our boasting... And it asks this because if it were up to us in any way, we would have, even if it was just this amount, a sliver of an amount, we'd have the right to boast. We have a right to say, well, yes, but look at what I've contributed, even if it's just in this way. Aren't, isn't it so great? Aren't I so great that I was able to just do this amount that pleased God and saved me? That's why we could boast. But Paul in Romans says we have no boasts. We have nothing that we contribute. You know, some people want to still say, well, no, you contribute a little bit. And, and they might even describe it in this way. It's, it's like a child, a young child, wanting to bring the groceries in the house with you. And so the parent gives them the, the bag, the light bag. And this child's spilling most of it as they're bringing it in, really can't hold the bag. The parent's sort of stooping down the whole way and carrying this bag. And then at the end of it, you say, as a parent, good job, good work. That was, that, that was great what you did. And they could say, well, isn't that what God does to us? You see, it's gracious that God saves us. It's gracious that God stoops down to help us hold this bag. And so really, it's he who's doing it. But, but there is an element. There is an element that this little child is trying. This little tri- child is carrying it to a degree. Is that what it is? And our response is No. The child didn't carry the bag. We can't carry it. We can't aid it. We're dead in sin. Unable to do a single good work. Unable without the gift of God to even profess faith. Believing the Apostles' Creed, as the Catechism is talking about, helps us because we know that we are righteous in Christ before God and as such, heir to life everlasting. But then it moves to ask, how are we righteous before God? Or how can this gospel message be true? How can this gospel message be true? The answer, the second question and answer to this Lord's Day is a brilliant one. Taking the gospel, taking God's word and condensing it into this great summary. And it begins, the answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3 shows us this shows us righteousness comes through faith. Verse 27 distinguishes that fact that it's by faith and not by any obedience to the law, or else, again, we could boast just a little. Our passage also shows from Romans that it is through and in Christ that we are saved. The redemption is in him. Verse 25, it's to be received by faith. We all know what faith is. It's a true knowledge of what God's word says. It's a trust in that word. It's a conviction. It's an assent to the truth and living upon it. And then we get these beautiful words, even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, and I'll pause there, that gets it. So this is what I was talking about earlier. Truly understanding justification helps us see what we are. What an accurate depiction. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, we properly understand sin God doesn't bring us 95% of the way or 99% of the way, and we do that remaining 1%. God doesn't even bring us to the the point where just have faith. I've offered all these things to you. Just do that final work, have faith, and you'll be saved. Faith isn't a work. It's a gift of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace means a gift. And that's what faith is to believers. It's a gift of God that we could not perform to be saved. God gives it. He gives us all of it. Catechism continues, Nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Those two words are incredibly important. He grants and credits. See, the language that's not used, he, he pays. He, he rewards. It's not it. He grants and credits. You see, paying and rewarding is giving someone wages for what they're due, what they earned. They should be given that. They did the work necessary, but that's not it. You see, the language of granting and crediting is all something that we did not achieve It's all something put into our account. It's all done by another, by an alien to us, one who isn't our own performance, but Jesus Christ. And notice it's the perfect satisfaction, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness of all that Christ did. That's granted to our account. That's what we mean by justification, becoming right before God. It's not that God has made us righteous, but declared us righteous. That's an important distinction. Why? If we, if we are righteous because God made us righteous, that puts it on us again. It means that we have performed or must perform something to be saved. He's he's made us righteous, and so now we're worthy to be saved. And it gets it wrong. Rather, he has come and done what was worthy and what was necessary, and took all of that and credited it to us. See, justification is not that we are made righteous before God, actually. That God does some creative act within us to make us right and then save us. It's that he saves us through the righteousness of Christ. And why is that a beautiful doctrine? Because the one way, if it's on how righteous God made you, you're only going to get as far as your righteousness. But when you take the whole deposit of Christ and put it in your account, now it isn't on what we have done Now we are not lacking before God in any way. Now we can't fall off that medieval ladder of heaven because the very perfection of God is credited to our account. Let's put it this way. Let's give an illustration. Let's pretend that you've racked up an enormous debt And you've racked up debts to everyone and everything. You have credit card debts. You have loans to the bank. You're in major debt to banks. Because of vices and gambling and other things, you've squandered your living. And these vices have led you to the hospital. You're bedridden and you're unable to do anything. You can't escape this. You have nothing to pay it off. All you owe is debt. And let's pretend it's like this. It's like our father, who was retired, went back to work. And he worked hard, and he did these jobs, and he paid off all of the debt. Paid it all off through the work he has done. Now to the banks, to the creditors, to the credit card companies, all they care is that it's been paid. But you and your hospital bed didn't pay it. You didn't pay a penny of it. It was someone else's merit. It was someone else's money. It was they who did it on your account. That's how you are made right. Here's a definition then of justification. Justification is that legal act of God by which he declares the sinner righteous on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Justification is that legal act of God by which he declares the sinner righteous on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's what God declares it's not what God has made. You see, some, again, want to distort this. They want to, similarly to the illustration I gave of the child carrying in the grocery bag, we'll, we'll use our newer illustration of you in the hospital bed. They want to take it and say, no, it's like this. The Father comes to you and helps you. He, he props you up. He gets you out of the hospital bed. He's with you every day. He's helping you with the work. Now, God does do that for us but we've put it in the wrong place. This is the distinction between being made right before God and being made righteous and holy. We use those terms, justification and sanctification. Sanctification could be aptly described in that way, that we have the Father who comes to the hospital bed and he begins to work on us, he begins to bring us, he begins to pull us into holiness, transforming our life, and we are made holy But sanctification happens after justification. It doesn't happen before. Otherwise, again, we could boast. Otherwise, we could bring something to God and stand on our own merit. So, to bring this illustration to full circle, the Father already paid the debt, and in such a way that you are now rich. You have so much money, you don't even know what to do with it anymore. And after that debt is paid, now the Father still comes and graciously brings you out of the hospital bed, graciously heals you and works on you. That is what happens after justification in sanctification. The Catechism helpfully explains what this means for us, what justification means. God grants and credits the righteousness of Christ to us as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. As far as God is concerned, you're as righteous as he is. I don't have words to express anything more grand than that. By God's own reckoning, by his own perfect scale of justice, you're as righteous as Jesus Christ does. All debts paid, all law, all righteousness fulfilled, as if you've never sinned, as if you've never been a sinner, and as if you've kept the law like Christ. As if you were the one who went to the cross, as if you were the one who bore his wrath, as if you were the one who kept the law. That's what's in our account. And and why would we ever want to diminish that by trying to prop up our worthless righteousness or what we can offer? It's all of grace through faith. The Catechism ends by declaring what we mean about faith. Question and answer 61 says, Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith, for only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God, and I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. What the Catechism is doing here is protecting against that very easy step. From saying we are saved by faith alone to make faith alone a work alone that you must do to be saved, and saying it is not that. It is not the worthiness of our faith or what we could merit through our faith that achieves it. It's Christ and him alone. Faith is given to us and not something we work in ourselves, but what God produced in us. Faith is the only, the instrument by which we grasp what saved us, and that's Jesus Christ. I want to end on a helpful quote. Why does God choose faith as the instrument of justification? Why faith? We talk so much about it. We're people of faith. We preach faith. We call to faith. We profess faith. But why faith? Wayne Grudem has a good response. He says this, It is apparently because faith is the one attitude of heart that is the exact opposite Of depending on ourselves. When we come to Christ in faith, we essentially say, I give up. I will not depend on myself or my own good works any longer. I know that I can never make myself righteous before God. Therefore, Jesus, I trust you and depend on you completely to give me a righteous standing before God. In this way, faith is the exact opposite of trusting in ourselves and therefore it is the attitude that perfectly fits salvation that depends not at all on our own merit but entirely on God's free gift of grace faith is that fitting means that God has chosen as it says it's all of him none of us but he gives to himself he gives to us all of himself perfect righteousness you are just before God. You have not broken the law of God in any way. You are perfectly righteous. You have kept the law perfectly. That's what's credited to us. That's how God views us through his Son. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are amazed at what a truth your word conveys. It's by faith we are saved, not of our own works. And what we are given is the very righteousness of Christ credited to our accounts. We ask, Lord, that this truth would dwell deep in us, that it would transform our life, that we would praise your name because of it, that we would know no other hope than who we are in Jesus. We ask this in his name.